Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining me today for this broadcast on Friday afternoon. Uh, Well, you know, I was reading a story about a Christian university student who was sharing a room with a Muslim, and they became friends. Their conversation soon turned to their beliefs. The believer asked a Muslim if he had ever read the Bible. He answered no. But then he asked if the Christian had ever read the Quran. The believer responded, well, no, I haven't, but I'm sure it would be interesting. Why don't we read them both together? So once a week, they would alternate books. That young man accepted the challenge. Their friendship deepened, and during the second semester, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. One evening late in the term, He burst into the room and he shouted to his longtime believer friend, You deceived me! What are you talking about? The believer asked. Well, the new believer opened up his Bible and he said, I've been reading it through, like you told me, and just read that the Word is living and active. And then he put a grin on his face. He said, You knew all along that the Bible contained God's power and that the Quran is a book like any other. I never had a chance. And now you'll hate me for life, asked the believer. Uh, No, he answered, but it was really an unfair contest. I want you to know that anytime you use the Bible, every time you apply the Bible, the word is quick and powerful. It's active and it's alive. And that's why so many people are resistant to the Bible. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be found out for who they really are. Because when you think about truth, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. So today I want to talk to you about the truth about temptation and how to overcome it. You need both, right? It's one thing to know what temptation is. It's another thing to overcome it. Now in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, James said, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Have you ever noticed just how easy it is to give into temptation? It's simple, right? But why do we give in to temptation? Somebody once said, well, I can resist anything but temptation. So if we're going to resist temptation, we must, number one, be submissive. When we are submissive to the temptation, we're going to give in to that temptation. When we are submissive to God, however, we will overcome temptation. James says, submit yourselves to God. Now, this is a choice, right? I choose to submit to God. If I'm going to do this, I must be not only submissive, but I must be strategic. James says, resist the devil. Why resist something that is made to feel so comfortable? Because in the end, it kills. Not everything that feels good is good, and not everything that feels right is right. So don't put yourself in the way of temptation. In Matthew 10, 28, it says, that we shouldn't fear the one who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him 
who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now, C.S. Lewis spoke about the difficulty of resisting temptation. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Now, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. Now, this is obviously a lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it really is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving in. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find our strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. So, temptation is real. We're not denouncing the reality of temptation, but we should rather fear the one who can destroy both soul and hell. So, we must be strategic. We must be submissive to God. And number three, we must be systematic. James says, wash your hands, you sinners. In other words, when we mess up, we fess up. We confess our sins. In Luke chapter 11, we discover that the Pharisees are having lunch with Jesus. And as he's having lunch with Jesus, they notice that the disciples are not washing their hands. And so they're out there reclining at a table eating. And the Pharisees see this, and they were surprised that they didn't first ceremonially wash their hands before the meal. So the Lord said to them, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but inside you're full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones! Do not be like that one who only washes the outside, but wash the inside also. Now you think about this, many people want to have the appearance of being clean without really being clean. So we've got to be washing our hands, you sinners. Fess up when we mess up. Make it a constant pattern of your life that you are always confessing of your sins. And then number four, be single focused. Look what else James says. He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, when I think about the purity of being single-focused, according to Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is active and alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And then, get this, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So, the Word of God here is called the written word or the spoken word. Not the Logos or John 1.1. 1, 1. The ESV says that the Bible is living and active. So there's a description here of the Bible as living. It means that it is a vital power inherent to itself. In other words, it doesn't get its power from some other force. The Word itself is living. The written Word of God accomplishes God's purposes. The preaching of the Holy Scriptures bring about God's desires effect. The Bible, unlike any other book, it doesn't just emotionally help you or socially help you. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of God. So there's a a supernatural change that takes place within a person. 
Jesus likened the word of God to a seed in his parable of the sower. He said the seed is like the Bible or like the word. It's not dead, it's living. It has the ability to bring forth life abundantly. So we ought to have a single purpose. Do you really want to overcome temptation? Or are you just tired of the consequences of falling into sin? If you really want to overcome temptation, overpower temptation, you've got to live for a single purpose, to be like Christ. Now, this is ongoing, right? The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian who ever walked the face of the earth, says this, I have not arrived. I haven't achieved it. But I focus on one thing. I forget the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. So single purpose, looking at what lies ahead. Have you ever thought about how you relax? Oftentimes, we relax through escapism. You know, we'll watch a movie or watch a TV show or something on the internet. You know, 41% of Americans enjoy superhero movies. Some like to go binge-watching TV as a form of relaxation. Well, 75% of Americans say they watch three or four episodes in a single sitting. Now, we also sometimes can't stop binge-watching on our smartphones. Only 17% of Americans say that they could go a whole day without checking their devices. 31% said they could only go a few hours. 8% said they could go an hour or less. Now, 88% regularly check their phones while they're on vacation. 50% admit to tripping over or bumping into things because they're absorbed in their phone. And more than 10% reported missing their vacation destination while traveling because they were focused on their phone screens. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have focus. Well, these stats just prove that we all have the capacity to have immense focus. The question is, what are we focusing on? I have been diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD. I tell people, really, the problem is not uh, distraction. The problem is I'm focused on the right thing. ADHD people are super focused, but they tend to be super focused on the wrong thing at the expense of other things. I think most of us battle a sinful nature because we have lost the single focus to be like Jesus. If you want to overcome temptation, you've got to be one who is very sincere and wanted to become like Christ. Now, let me quickly review what we've covered already. Fact number one, if you're going to overcome temptation, you got to be submissive, right? Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. So by submitting, it's a willful action. Just like Jesus willingly died on the cross, I am going to submit to him. So it's a choice. You know, when Paul tells wives to submit to your husbands, why is he telling them that? He doesn't tell them that because they were submissive already. The clue is in the grammar, right? The verb submit is actually in the middle of voice, and it literally means to put yourself in a place of submission. It means to sit down on the inside as well as sitting down on the outside. Now, you've been sitting down on the outside because you had no choice, right? That's not submission. If you want to overcome sin, 
Now you've got to voluntarily be submissive. The act of the will rather than just fulfilling a legal requirement. Now, I became really good at fulfilling the legal requirements, right? I would be told to be home at a certain time. And I remember one time I was told to be home by 11 o'clock. Well, it was way past 11 o'clock by the time I got home. And so the next morning, my dad asked me, well, uh, what time did you get home last night, Cal? And I said, well, you know, Dad, um, the last time I looked at my watch, it was 11 o'clock. Now, I was kind of spending a, a little bit of a white lie because I refused to look at my watch, and I knew it was way past 11 o'clock. But the last time I looked at my watch, it was 11 o'clock. I fulfilled what I thought was the legal requirement, but I actually was in, in volition. I violated willfully the curfew. So when we look at the choice of submission, we submit to a person. Job twenty two twenty one. Yield now and be at peace with him. Thereby, goodwill will come to you. So willingly submit to Christ. Number two, be strategic. Resist the devil. Don't put yourself in temptation's way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number three, be systematic. By that, when you mess up, you fess up. You wash your hands, you sinners. So Jesus is very clear that you can overcome temptation. And when you fail to overcome temptation, you wash your hands, cleanse your heart, you people. Then we see number four, be single focused. Purify your heart, you double minded, dual minded. So When the Bible talks about something living, it has that vital power within itself. Single purpose is to be like Jesus. Paul says, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. Number five, be sincere. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Now, repentance is very unpopular because we're addicted, and we're addicted to justifying our own actions and pointing out the evil in others. Now, if I really looked at my own self-centeredness and my own pride, I'd have to admit that I'm also a hypocrite and a moral failure. You see, part of temptation always involves an element of deception. Be sincere. You know, when you think about sincerity, kindness to people. We all know that a kind word can go a long way. But why are we so many times reluctant to give unsolicited praise to others? It may simply be that we underestimate how well a compliment will be received, and we overestimate the cost of giving it. There was a study that was published in the Psychological Bulletin, and researchers asked people to approach a same-gendered stranger and offer a sincere compliment. The compliment giver kind of felt anxious prior to the interaction because they predicted their compliment would be negatively received, but their predictions were not accurate. Overall, they significantly underestimated how flattered 
happy, and pleased people would feel about being complimented. They also significantly overestimated how awkward or annoyed the recipients would feel. One psychologist suggests, we should think about how we would feel if we received a compliment and remember that others will feel the same way. A few kind words go a long way. When it comes to this matter of grieving and mourning and wailing, be sincere. You see, true remorse of sin turns into sincere turning from sin. Maybe the reason you cannot be successful in overcoming sin is because you've never been truly remorseful about your sin. One of my favorite Bible characters, Elijah. We learn that Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long are you going to go limping between two different opinions? Now, Elijah felt the same pressures that we feel. It says that Elijah was tempted as we are tempted. He was a man of like passions. And he says to his people, If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Isn't that where many of us find ourselves today? We don't rock the boat too much. Uh, We believe that the Lord is God, and we want to follow him, but we're afraid to really get too radical about it, right? True remorse of sin turns to sincere turning from sin. And then number six, if you want to overcome temptation, you got to be serious about it. James says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, serious determination delivers serious success. Jesus deals in Matthew chapter 12 with a man that had an unclean spirit. When the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, he says it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I'm going to return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, I find it empty, swept in an order. Then it gives and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and they dwell there. And the last estate of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. You see, Jesus didn't pull any punches. He says, if you're serious about living a life that overcomes temptation, you're going to be not only cleaning out your life, eradicating things, but then you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. You're not going to leave it empty. You're going to fill it with God's Word. You know that, um, that word, skin in the game. I was kind of curious as to where that uh, phrase, you know, have you got skin in the game, right? I think a lot of us don't have enough skin in the game when it comes to be becoming a follower of Christ. But according to one story, now this may be a legend, but in the late 1960s, the now iconic investor Warren Buffett decided to give some seed money for his very first stock. And uh, he got 11 other doctors to, uh, uh, to give in, and they, they kicked in $105,000. Then in a symbolic act of his own commitment, Warren Buffett added $100 of his own money into the kitty. 
Now, nobody knows exactly where the phrase skin in the game entered the American lingo, but many pinned it on Buffett's willingness to plunk down his own $100 into that investment. The now common phrase captures the essence of an investment of a heart and courage and risk. Not the mere investment of money, but actually putting skin into the game. So the idea is simple. You have no business asking others to trust you with their money if you're not willing to put your own resources at risk. If you have no skin in the game, no stake of vulnerability, then your engagement is distant. It's rhetorical rather than personal. We might play fast and loose with other people's resources, but not with our own. Put another way, it's one thing to work for an entrepreneur. It's quite another to be an entrepreneur. The first involves little personal investment. The second demands our heart, our time, our sacrifice, our commitment. Let's get some real skin in the game. When you get to the point when you got skin in the game, you will be serious about overcoming temptation. You see, I believe that most Christians are really about as spiritual as they really want to be. A lot of Christians want to have enough Jesus in their life so their lives aren't messed up, but they don't really want to have enough Jesus in their life so that they can powerfully overcome sin. There's one final point we've got to cover. The last point is this. We must be selfless. Let me review real quick. If you want to overcome sin in your life, number one, you've got to live your life in such a way that you are submitting yourself to God. Submit yourself to God, and He will give you the strength to overcome temptation. Number two, you got to be strategic. Resist the devil. Don't go to a place where you know you're going to be tempted. Number three, you've got to be systematic. When you mess up, you fess up. Wash your hands, you sinners. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God from time to time. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number four, you got to be single-focused. Don't be double-minded. Not one foot in the world and one foot in the church. No, I'm going to be completely sold out for Christ. Purify your hearts, says James, you double-minded. Number five, you've got to be sincere. Grieve, mourn, and wail. You see, I know repentance is unpopular, but when we mess up, we grieve over our sins. You see, it seems like in the modern Christian era that we have salvation without repentance, and we wonder why we have no power in our lives. Number six, if we're going to be really overcoming temptation, we got to be serious about it. We got to get some skin in the game. We got to change our laughter to the morning. We've got to change our joy to gloom. You see, serious determination delivers serious results. And then number seven, last but not least, as we look at overcoming sin in our lives, number seven, we must be really selfless. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see, if Satan can't defeat you through temptation to do evil, He will defeat your victory to do good. 
As we look at your life today, if you had to summarize your life in six words, how would you summarize your life? Several years ago, an online magazine asked that question. It was inspired by the legendary Ernest Hemingway to write a six-word story that resulted in the classic six words, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. The magazine was flooded with so many responses that the site almost crashed, and the responses were eventually turned into a book. Not quite what I was planning is filled with six-word memoirs, famous and obscure. Here are some of these famous six words that were given. One tooth, one cavity, life is cruel. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. You see, we could go on and on about these six words. One would be, not a good Christian, but trying. As you look at your life, you can indeed overcome temptation. Thank you, Lord, for being with us on this Friday afternoon. As we conclude another week studying your word, we pray that you'll keep us safe until we are back together again on Monday. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.